Perfect. All right. We are good to go then. So if you want to take care of starting the intro, uh, I'll pop in when necessary and we can get this convo rolling. Oh my gosh. Wait, what should I say? <laughs> introduce yourself. Introduce uh, what's going on. Say you're joined by me. <laughs> okay, perfect. And I, your name is Jackie, right? Yeah, hydration is never a bad thing. I got my Nalgene by my side, ready to go for when I get hoarse. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. hit that mute button for a second and chug. You're locked and loaded. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Megan Nielsen. And on this week's episode of Grit and Glitter, we are going to be kind of doing a bit of a retrospective, if you will, on the career of Stephanie McMahon, kind of from her initial entry point on WWE television up into her current position as the now CEO of the company after the retirement of her father, Vince McMahon. I'm joined here by fellow member of the Glitterati, Jackie. Hello. And we are just kind of going to talk about the figurehead that is Stephanie McMahon. The myth, the legend. The <laughs> yeah, literally. The powerhouse that is. And I know, like, Stephanie, I know, is, like, a bit of a controversial figure. Okay. Honestly, she's polarizing even to me. Like, I have mixed opinions on Steph. Same here. Uh, but I, I do find her very fascinating personally. And I do, honestly, I do admire her. And being kind of a sort of like almost a singular woman who's been in such a influential and powerful position in like the business side of wrestling. Yes. Like, you know, I know like Dixie over at TNA kind of had a position of power, but I don't really think that's entirely comparable to, you know, being the CEO of WWE, a which I just think is corporation. <laughs> yes. Yes. A publicly like publicly traded, traded global corporation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I think that no matter where your personal feelings fall on Stephanie McMahon, it's really important to talk about her and her influence and involvement in wrestling because it's she's been a prominent figure in the most influential global company since she was young, 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 <laughs> as we're about to discuss. So she has spent the majority of her life working for and in many ways representing this company. Uh, and being a, a woman, being in a fair, uh, a, a rare position to do so. So regardless of how you feel, she deserves our respect and our respect we're going to give her. Yes, 100%. And, you know, she is always down to turn a crazy look. 
which I love and appreciate. Mm. You can save that for the end. That'll be the treat that we end on. (laughs) Yes. Stephanie, you know, she kind of shows up on TV pretty early on. Her first story is like one of mine to me. Also, by the way, I'm like an Undertaker fan, too. So this is like very iconic and memorable for me. Iconic. Yes, it's. Okay, even though like truly, when you if you when you think about it, like it's insane. Wrong. <laughs> Creepy. Terrible. She's <laughs> like literally the child bride. Like he's like kidnapping her to be like his child sacrifice bride. Yeah. Uh, the Undertaker yeah. is. If you have not familiarized yourself with this storyline, it is perhaps worth pausing the podcast and just watching a couple of videos from that era that we're talking probably uh, highlight like reel. I'm sitting around this point, something. Uh, there's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And you heard Megan correctly. Stephanie McMahon was going to be the uh, child bride, child sacrificial bride of a grown ass Undertaker. Just literally like stalking her in storyline. He was like stalking her and he kidnapped her. Child of the boss. Child and of the yes. boss. Oh. And he like it's truly nuts. Him and like Paul Bearer like tie her down like on this like Undertaker cross. You know what I mean? And she's about to be force forcibly married to him. And then uh, luckily it is interrupted by the noble and valiant uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who says no to demonic children marriages. Uh, gotta love a working class hero. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's truly nuts. But it is like really hysterical. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. And then so she I feel like she then kind of enters like a storyline where she's uh in a relationship with the wrestler test and that is like kind of a rivalry with like her and her brother like Shane as well and it culminates in this like big match at SummerSlam. I think even her and Tess get like fake engaged, if memory serves. The test stuff is losing my memory because that was mostly forgettable. And also test was like kind of diet triple H anyway. So like, yeah. Afterward. Yes. It turns into a storyline with triple H because like, I think triple H like breaks up her and test and then she becomes a romantic foil then as well for triple H which, Which also kind of involves like, being drugged and then married in a drive-through. So another being married off to a, a an adult male situation. Yeah, really. I guess a repeat issue for <laughs> So the real question that should be asked here is, what's go? What what is wrong with Vince McMahon? to okay not just one but two child bride storylines but that's another discussion because this podcast is not about Vince this is about Stephanie no but literally his own child (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yes so Stephanie then is like married to Triple H and then begins an on-screen relationship with Triple H and kind of they become the owners or the managers I don't remember but it's like then that's like the McMahon Helmsley era which is kind of like the pre like even pre the authority and actually it's kind of interesting like Jackie and I were talking a little bit earlier 
for me, a lot of kind of this time period where she and like Triple H are like the big like heels of the company are like is like kind of sort of marred for me because a lot of like I remember like specifically like some stuff with like as like Jericho and Edge and Christian really were just like <laughs> consistently just like calling her like a slut all the time and like uh I know it was like she was the bad guy and like they were trying to get heat but like in and it was like, very t- common to do it this time too totally like I don't really think it's like necessarily an indictment of like those guys like it was kind of the thing but like it, it, it doesn't it didn't age well, you know what I mean? Like, it's it, now in 2022, it's, like, kind of weird to watch it because it's like, oh, all the good guys are just, like, calling her a hoe bag. And I don't, like, necessarily love it. But we were talking about that before, um, and I was I mentioned that, and Jack mentioned, too, a good point about how the lines with Stephanie and Triple H's relationship and when they started on TV and when it started on real life is kind of, you know, a little bit mysterious and potentially messy. Yeah, it's really ambiguous because at this time, as Triple H and Stephanie were becoming an on-screen thing, this is also around the same time that Triple H and China's relationship was really ending. Like, you know, they, they were they were the breakup was impending that it was going to happen because at the end of the day, fundamentally, Joni Lauer, China didn't want kids and Paul Levesque Triple H did and while you can have a wonderful relationship for a period of time with somebody when you don't share that value at a certain point if you're both firm in that position that's a deal breaker that relationship can't continue when one person wants children and the other person does not so that relationship was going to end so I'm in no way saying that Stephanie McMahon is the cause of that breakup however There's a lot of ambiguity about when Triple H and Stephanie McMahon started dating and being romantically involved off screen instead of just on screen. And because of that, it's hard to know, did did China and Triple H break up before that became a thing? Did the on screen romance become an off screen romance before China and Triple H ended their relationship? So it's a pretty messy situation at the end of, of China and Triple H's four-year relationship, four-year relationship. Yeah, they were living together. They were living together, right? So we're not talking about like a casual thing here. They were in a committed relationship when that ended. And then when Stephanie and Triple H began their long time partnership now, they've been married for decades. So that, they haven't married for decades, right? I'm right in my math there. I don't know. I'm probably zooming that relationship up a little bit more. No, but they've that married feels for a right. Long like, time. <laughs> at least for 10 years. Has to, I mean, I think I'd be going on close to 20 years. I, mean, I agree. This was all happening at the, the millennium here. So we're in 2022. You know, I don't know when they actually got married, but they've been together a long ass time. So regardless, when that relationship started, when his relationship with China ended, messy boundaries. So it's very possible that some of that animosity that we're seeing from someone like Chris Jericho, who, for all we know, I think, I, I believe, was, had a very good relationship with China. They, at the very least, um, were co-champions for a while. He put China over. So, like, they seem to have a very good professional relationship at the very least. You know, you might see where some of these slut-shaming was happening was maybe some of personal feelings coming through. And that's pure conjecture, right? 
I am not saying that is yeah, totally. the case, but I am saying it's a question worth thinking about is, uh, are some of the interpersonal dynamics related to Stephanie McMahon and her role around the edges of Triple H and China's breakup uh, and now, you know, new relationship with Triple H or some of those personal feelings starting to come out through the wrestling. Who knows? That's when wrestling's at its best in some ways when these we when these things are very, very fuzzy and boy, are they fuzzy here. Totally. And I don't really think that I mean, even though, yeah, it's conjecture, it's like not beyond the pale because like stuff like that did happen. And I mean, you could even look at like the Edge, Matt and Lita storyline and like that was all very heated and fuzzy and real and not real and so it's not like beyond the question for those kind of similar dynamics to be playing out in the um story with stephanie and triple h and perhaps even manipulated by vince from afar for the benefit of his television other questions that are worth examining yes we know it would not be beyond the man no it would not be (laughs) (laughs) again not about vince this is about Stephanie, who's had a yes. remarkable tenure atop a global um, publicly traded company. Totally. And I will say, like, this era, though, is, like, I feel like all the, like, most, well, some of the most, like, iconic Steph moments come from. They really like, do. Yeah. Like, all her, the like, good gif reactions of her face or, like, her, like hair flips or just like her crazy outfits are her hair in this era is impeccable because when her and triple h get married and she becomes like a baddie she goes from having like this like straight like silky hair that she had to like this truly insane like crimped out and like permed out like just mess of a hair and i love it so much like the look there's one specifically for me where she's like crazy it's like such a mess but she's just like randomly like put some butterfly clips in the top yes i mean we both went through the era of butterfly clips so like that that was much tentative of a time I, i'm wearing butterfly clips again i'm bringing it back like i have ones i wear i think they're so cute <laughs> i i have sometimes missed them because they were very convenient for just throwing back a couple pieces of hair out of your face i will say that that's the thing and i'm like kind of growing out like a mullet so i have like some weird side pieces that sometimes oh, yeah. just be like whoop like <laughs> flipped up all right so as as millennial fashions start to reemerge, folks, we're pushing for the butterfly clip. Grit and glitter endorses the butterfly clip. You hear, yes, folks. I'm in. You hear I'm first. In. Uh, yeah, I literally heard it here first. I do love this era of Steph, and like she like has the belt for a while during this period and like this is like when like the whole like then the whole McMahon family like are in a feud with each other with like comatose Linda you know regular stuff regular family stuff great Um, and then she's like okay and that kind of goes to like the mid-2000s or whatever and then this is kind of the period I have to be honest where I sort of like I know what happens but I sort of like fall out with Steph because I don't really think any of it is like that crazy yeah she's like the gm of both raw and smackdown for a while like her and her dad are in a feud there is like a thing where like the paternity of like her child is questioned but i don't even really you know remember that much about that not the (laughs) first time though a child's paternity has been questioned in wwe so not at all even in the mcmahon family no certainly not (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So then to me, where like it really picks up is like in like the mid 2000s again, or like kind of late. It's like 2010s when like she's in the authority. I like was a big fan of this stuff. Honestly, I this is also too for me like peak WWE watching era. Like 2014, I feel like to 20 like 19 was like my peak WWE watching where I was watching all the time. So I was really invested in all of this stuff. It's interesting. Uh, I have a, a I was watching a lot of this stuff though. Definitely towards the tail end of that, watched less and less because just had less hours available to me to watch stuff. But I have such a mixed feeling about it because a lot of this is just like boring to me. So like. Uh, repetitive because it is like very much the same story over and over again where they're like we're the bosses you have to do what we say and then someone's like no I don't and then that's like the story it's it's boring it's not great storytelling but it happened and there was no really wrestling happening on the television like on a big scale in terms of like a televised uh, company you, you still had your impact and like something's happening but nothing again to the scale to the budget to the notoriety of WWE so if you wanted to watch some of the people that they had and they had an excellent roster of people at this time it sort of ate what you were handed that's the thing is it's like there truly was no I mean this is like pre-AEW and I don't even need to make this a whole AEW thing but it's like there really was not I mean you're right Impact was just not the same and I love Ring of Honor and all that too but that's also just not the same like you kind of just like had to watch it because they had the people oh you yes all your favorite wrestlers were there oh you love Sasha Banks here you go like if if these are the people that you want to see wrestle they were they were had a monopoly because they had the money okay, to sign should, them. Okay, to speak, you mentioned the women specifically, and I'm just gonna let that lead me into like yes. a point. Because, so. Okay, because they're very specifically okay. So they did have all the women, and especially all the women's like wrestling. Like even if I didn't always like the matches or the booking, just literally due to how many women's matches they had. Like WWE had the best women's wrestling because most of it was happening on TV. You know what I mean? And so, whatever. That's what you mean. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it's still the, like, it's just, even if I don't always love it, it's the best because they have all the best, like, women's wrestlers. So, like, specifically during this period. And so it's like after Charlotte. At least the best wrestlers here. Like, there was some great wrestling happening in Japan that you had to have access to watch it. Or, like, know about it. Or in the UK. Like, like, there's some great wrestling happening in the UK. But again, access to being able to, like, see it and watch it, you know? And yeah, knowing about it. So this is, like, in the period after, like, Sasha, Becky, and Charlotte have been called up to the main roster. It's the transition from, like, the Divas belt. Like, they retire the Divas belt, the butterfly belt, and it just becomes, like, they do the women's belt. Mm-hmm. I remember this. This is so, like, clearly burned in my brain. They did, like, a promo video for it where, like, all these girls, like, all the wrestlers were, like, talking about how important, like, how much they wanted to win this belt and how important it was that it was the women's belt. And then, but then also kind of they were, like, wow. And, like... Stephanie McMahon, like, invented women's wrestling. <laughs> like, I mean, no one literally said that, but the whole, like, the video was, uh, like, a whole, just, like, a weird, like, put over of, like, stuff that Steph had done, and then, like, it was, like, they were trying to, like, rewrite it as, like, Stephanie being, like, the most, like, influential, like, female in the world of wrestling, and I just remember, like, thinking, 
at the time, and I think back on it now, like, truly how, like, insane that is, because, like, when it comes to the actual, like, wrestling of it, like, I, Steph, I don't really think of Stephanie as a wrestler at all. No. Like, at all. Manager, authority figure, absolutely, she is involved, and I know I have seen her wrestle, like, sure, but I do not think she's not a wrestler. I would never define her as a wrestler. No, it's so crazy to me. And I just remember, like, that video. I don't know. I'll, like, have to, like, when this episode comes out, I'll tweet a link to it. So you can get yes. can go look. Because it is crazy. I just remember being like, wow. Like, they're really just going to act like Stephanie invented wrestling. And that's, again, another one of those, like, weird, like, WWE Monopoly things. Yeah, but I do think, though, this era of Stephanie that era, the authority era is interesting, even if not from a wrestling standpoint, but because that is when I think at the time, was she the CCO? CB, was she the the chief brand officer at that time? But at this time, I mean, her and Triple H were literally real life important figures in the business side of WWE. And like, it fascinates me to think about like how they were also playing that role on television while like that literally probably was like the priority of their jobs not being on tv but like helping to run the business side of things and like i don't know stephanie i feel like hasn't really made any sort of long tenured appearance on wwe tv in like a while so i don't really know i don't think we're gonna immediately get a storyline with her on TV right off the bat, like about her being CEO, especially considering I don't think they should. You know, especially considering the circumstances of like Vince's retirement, I think yeah. it would be like really weird kind of do a story like that with Stephanie, to be honest. But I kind of feel like eventually, at some point, she is going to have to be on WWE TV as like the CEO, the boss, don't you think? Maybe. Well, I want to go back to this authority era before we kind of get there, just because I think it might help contextualize some of my answer. She would have been the chief brand officer, the CBO at that time. So take that for what you want in my very, very quick and, and not super deep search. But so for me, this is an era where even though the writing was atrocious and boring is where I actually found myself developing a lot of respect for Stephanie McMahon as a human being because I really one felt like she was really like owning herself as a businesswoman as someone influential in media uh, not just in wrestling but in like media and she really like owned her presence in like media calls conferences other appearances she was doing a lot of outreach work uh, I think she was doing a lot of, like, development with the uh, app, like, when the WWE app was first emerging. So, like, she really stepped into her own in that branding sense and in, in doing, you know, that side of the work for the company. And I really developed a, a lot of respect for her, uh, for her composure, for being so uh, well-spoken. And it largely seems like she generally seems well-respected from the the women that you hear coming out of WWE who had a chance to work with her and have conversations with her. You generally hear pretty good things about Stephanie McMahon. It seems like she was sincerely invested in the women in that company um, and formed earnest relationships with them. And, you know, there could definitely be things that are not being talked about because, again, 
that's how things go. But it seems like a lot of people have generally had, have not had bad things to say about Stephanie McMahon. They might not be like glowing, this is the best person in the world. But like, it seems like for the most part, there's a lot of respect from from at least the women in the company for Stephanie McMahon and the work that she does for them and on behalf of them. And then also in this larger role that she has, you know, as, as an authority figure in the company. So this era, I really, really found a, a deep respect for at least, you know, Stephanie McMahon, the 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 woman of power, <laughs> uh, yes. uh, you know, like the real woman of power uh, in that moment. That's, I think, a really important, you know, even though from a storyline perspective, kind of boring era, it's a really important era for her on screen for her off screen just uh, in her role uh, in the company yes I I don't know I do like really have a lot of fondness for Stephanie and a lot of it is because like of what you just said I think it's cool that not just in the wrestling world you see you see these pictures she takes at like business events and she's also often one of only like the few females in those rooms as well and I think it's really cool how she has navigated two traditionally kind of like male dominated spaces and been very successful and I mean obviously I'm sure there's like a bit of a nepotism element but, <laughs> like I understand like that she is a big man like, it's like the asterisk next to a baseball player's name when they use steroids like, <laughs> like she got the boost <laughs> I understand like there is that context but like I really do think I don't know dude I gotta think she's cool like I do like Steph the whole like ethical situation of her father it's just like not a good one to touch on but at least not for this segment. <laughs> no, I, I do. I'm. It's like, it's cool. You know, it's kind of impressive. And I think it's like also cool that like people like that. She it just, you know, younger people can see that too. Like, it's cool that she doesn't just had to. I do kind of like the, <laughs> the arc from getting called a hoe on television to uh, being, yeah, being, being, a, being a child bride uh, uh, on more than one occasion. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and to come back to your question then of do I think we'll see her uh, on on screen more? I think ultimately answer is yes, but I think it should be not soon. I think that as a businesswoman now stepping into the CEO role, I think she's going to have a lot on her plate from a PR perspective, from a business management perspective from a financial perspective as we're seeing all these payoffs and how they're how that's amounting to like millions and millions of dollars I think she earnestly does care about this company very much and because of that I think she's going she should do what's best for the company what's best for business to use their tagline and focus on the actual business needs right now while things are in transition and while things are rough um, and in this yes. sort of transit point. And like Triple H2 is like now newly head of creative. Like there are too many pieces in motion, I think, yeah. at this current juncture for it to make sense for her to really do anything on TV. Right. But I do. I just it is kind of impossible for me. And honestly, I mean, this is because it's, it's a hole they've written themselves into. But it is kind of impossible for me to imagine like WWE TV without any kind of like major authority figure you know what I mean 
I mean, I think it'd be a good challenge for them. It'd be a great way to distinguish what you're doing now from from what's come before and what's been the trope that they've relied upon now for decades, actually, you know, and then having this authority figure <laughs> often a McMahon be, be the ire of things. You know, what does it look like to have a show not with that that clear hierarchy or that clear kind of person in charge? Uh, I think that would be a great rebranding exercise for someone who used to be a CBO to execute. <laughs> yeah, literally, wait, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I'm like nodding my head as you're like explaining this. I'm like yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah, so that that to me like is kind of like I mean that's like I know that's been the question that's been in the back of my head. I'm also like kind of curious to see really if anything changes. Like good on you, like good on you for girl bossing stuff. But like, are we gonna make like literal structural changes to like improve the lives of your workers? <laughs> You could tell by my response to that that I do not have high hopes for actual structural change. And in fact, no, my, my reaction to seeing this news with just uh, Vince being you know, retiring or being fired or being let go, whatever, whatever happened, being pushed out, Vince is gone. And my initial thought to that was, okay. Um, we're going to get marginally better wrestling. Uh, you probably will be able to watch some WWE shows and not like grown or feel like you wasted your time. So there will be an improvement on the wrestling side, but I do not think there's going to be a significant culture change. No, I would love to be proven like, wrong. It's like you're literally going to get like kind of better raw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it'll be bad. And like, you know what? It has been good, but I don't really think it's been like. I mean, I, whatever, it's been, like, five weeks. But whatever, But I don't know. You're right. You're right. Like, it's really not – I I also don't think that there are going to be any kind of huge changes. But I would love to be proven wrong. Yeah, you know? again, wrong. I, I, I have no – I take – well, no, sometimes I take satisfaction in being right. I can't say I take no satisfaction in being right. In this case, I would take no satisfaction in being right. If the company gets better, great. The company got better. If it doesn't, I mean – the writing was kind of on the wall for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Can we come to the big, big question to end the evening? Can we talk about how amazing Stephanie McMahon's hair is oh, for just a moment? I like love it in all of its forms. I love all it things. in her like business bitch, like blowout, like how she wears <laughs> it now. I like Dude, that's what it is. It's like the Power Woman, like blowout, and like two that also feature. I, I love too. This is like I don't even remember who he was wrestling. Maybe Roman Reigns, but I feel like it's either at like a Mania or a SummerSlam, where like Triple H like came out like kind of like late in his career, like rode a motorcycle to the ring. Oh and, yeah. Like, Stephanie, Stephanie was like dressed like a truly insane like warrior queen, like perched behind him. That's an iconic Stephanie look. Yeah, hair coming in all directions. Teased, yes. Teased. She used that rat tooth comb like an expert or whoever did her Truly, hair. Truly, it was huge. Big. It was awesome. <laughs> yes, I love that. I love her like crazy. Like sometimes it's like really 90s, like flat crimped hair, but then sometimes it's like huge and like permed out almost. Yeah, like, so picked out. I'm happy you mentioned the flat curve because before when you mentioned that the butterfly clip was like your favorite, Stephanie, I love the insane flat crimp with like <laughs> all of the settings. Like she couldn't choose which side. So she used all four plates that came on the crimper 
and yes, like literally <laughs> made it work. And, like, and it's not brushed out. Like no, it's no, fully... it's like hot pressed from that crimper. Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite Stephanie McMahon hair. It's insane. Yes. Truly of an era. And this is the thing, in its time, that was not insane. That was on trend, which is yeah. why I love the insanity of that hairstyle. Oh my gosh, so good. It like, yeah, it like almost looks like braids sometimes because she's crimped it so small in little pieces. <laughs> like. So good, so good. That woman is blessed with a great head of hair. No, she has gray hair and she also like wears crazy fits. Like I love her like like halter top period, like her tube top like journey yes. and like she would wear a lot of sequins and honestly like never in a way that would make sense like it'd always be like a weirdly sequined skirt but like she always like could pull it off <laughs> like, I mean, it's just the boss's daughter so no one's questioning no no yeah uh-huh. and also oh my god I love how fast she can run in heels I could never no she's adept in those heels that is Good. that is true. Yeah. Yes. It's very impressive to me. Yes. So I think the question I want to put out to anyone who is listening to this is what is your favorite Stephanie McMahon hairstyle? Please let us know because I am dying to share in that joy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Please tell us. I feel like that's truly no better or more historical retrospective of Stephanie McMahon has ever been done. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally um, we completely focus, covered every we little detail. On, we focus on the important parts, i.e. the crimped hair. Yes. And I really think that's like what the people needed. Look, you've got to give the people what they want. We try our best, you know. <laughs> My name is, once again, Megan Nielsen, and you can follow me on Twitter by searching up the local Aquaman expert, and you can follow Jackie at Cheap Pop is a Band. And you should definitely follow our podcast at Grit Glitter Pod. Thank you all for listening, and have a wonderful week. Bye.